don't sing, but I am going to pray, if that's okay. Now, dear Lord, thank you for days of celebration and thanksgiving. Um, thank you, Lord, for the generation that's gone before us, how they built the country, the values they've stood on and passed to us. And I pray, Lord, you would continue to surround them with your love and protection in the days ahead. And Lord, thank you that we're also looking today at a day of celebration and thanksgiving that you taught about. And I pray it would be fresh for our ears too, and that we too would take something and learn something and remind ourselves more of uh, your nature. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. So thank you, Rachel. As you said, um, we're beginning a series on the um, parables, and Quincy gave me the choice, actually. And I have to say, I went straight for the prodigal son or the lost son, because um, I think it's one that is at the center of so much of our understanding as Christians, but like a lot of the Gospels, it's very familiar. So it's quite easy for us to overlook its impact and its significance. So I'm praying today that we'll really catch its meaning afresh, or maybe for some of us, even for the first time. But as Rachel was saying there, um, because it's the start of the series, I thought, well, we'll just look at the role of the parables in general, first of all, in Jesus' teaching. And I think if you look into it, you'll see that parables are absolutely central to the way that Jesus taught when he was on earth. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, Mark says that Jesus more or less always taught in parables when he was talking to crowds. And then, I think as you said, he explained to his disciples afterwards what the deeper meaning was. And in Matthew 13, parallel chapter, he's, he, Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples. We may come to that later in the series. But he tells them that through these stories, they are being given access to heavenly wisdom, which even was previously hidden from rulers and spiritual leaders and prophets in the years before he came to earth. And there's an interesting reference here. There's a lot of verses, as you know, in the Old Testament which speak prophetically about Jesus' life, his ministry, his birth, his death, his resurrection. And there's an interesting one at the beginning of Psalm 78, which I found, um, where the psalmist says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. So the psalmist is telling us prophetically that a parable if you like, brings to the surface deep knowledge and insight. And if you look in Matthew 13, 35, hello. If you look in 13, 35 of Matthew, he's, Matthew specifically says that the fulfillment of that prophecy was seen in Jesus' teaching ministry. So remember, the psalmist said, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. And the Gospels are telling us that that was fulfilled in Jesus' ministry. So Sally, first slide, please. There's only three slides. Okay, I won't say hands up, who knows what they are. These are um, two telescopes, actually, which were launched into space. I think the Hubble one in about 1990. This one, uh, James Array Space Telescope, thanks, Sam, was only launched a couple of years ago. And um, their job, if you like, is to look into the mysteries of the universe. They're trying to solve some of the deep questions from a human point of view about space and time. And they're doing that by looking further and in clearer focus than ever before, right across the universe. And to be honest, in many ways, they are incredibly impressive. You know, it's the height of human ingenuity at the moment. 
although I have to say they're still fairly kind of puny compared to what God can do. But, you know, credit where it's due, they are amazing pieces of kit. Now, I put those up because it seems to me Jesus himself, if you understand what I'm saying, can be seen in his teaching a bit like the ultimate spiritual telescope. Okay, I don't know if you thought of this. Jesus is our cosmic telescope. He's reaching into eternity and he's bringing into our understanding mysteries which were previously hidden. As the word of God, he's often portrayed in scripture as wisdom. This is because he spent eternity with his father and he's now sharing that knowledge with us. So there are many places in scripture where Jesus made clear that he had the authority to teach in that way because literally he knew what he was talking about. For example, I'll just take one because of time. In John chapter 6, there's one chapter alone, Jesus says a number of things, including he is the bread of heaven sent by his Father to give life to the world in line with his Father's will, and that only he has seen the Father and come from him. So Jesus is uniquely qualified to teach us this deep divine wisdom to which really otherwise we wouldn't have access. Like I said, it's very familiar when we hear these stories, but we forget actually Jesus hadn't come to earth. We wouldn't be aware of this stuff. So the access that he's given us, I think, is no more, nowhere more true than in this parable of the lost son because it reveals so much about the father's heart. And I think you could arguably say it actually reveals more about unlocking the keys to the secrets of the universe than a human space mission, however impressive that is. And if you think that's a tall claim, I'll try and cover that as we go along. So let's look at actually the passage itself, Sally. Thank you. You find it in Luke 15 from para 11. I'll just read it through. Hopefully you can see it. So Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. <laughs> father, give me my share of the estate. So his father divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. He sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to share? And here am I starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. This is the key verse now. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's more to the story. 
Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So... Conveniently, there are three main characters in this story, saying it's almost as if our Lord knew we'd be preaching three-part sermons. Thank you, Lord. Um, we'll look at them in the order of the second son first, the lost, the prodigal son, then the father, and then the first son, and then a couple of wrap-up thoughts at the end. So starting with the lost, the second, the younger, the prodigal son, however you want to think of him, who effectively, like I said, wanted his father dead so that he could inherit the proceeds and basically go wild. So careful what you wish for if you enter the lottery and actually win. Um, Not necessarily a good thing to happen to anybody. In the culture of the time, the actions of the second son would have been even more shocking and disrespectful as now, and would have brought disgrace on the whole family. But Jesus says, when all was lost, the younger son came to his senses. Now, in our family, we like to do something called TPAing, Um, See, Sam's nodding away there. Um, Here's a free bit of dad advice for you all. TPA is think, plan, activate. So think about what you need to do, plan how you're going to do it, and then do it, TPA. Now, it has to be said that the younger son did a classic TPA at this point. He thought about his situation, he planned the way forward, and then he went and carried it out. He went home, and credit to him, he said he was sorry even after his father's loving welcome. So we'll look now at the father. Now, up to this point, I think Jesus' hearers, those listening to him, would have been nodding along, probably tutting at the young man's foolishness and expecting that when he got home, his father would show him what was what. The only question really was what level of punishment the father would inflict. So the father's reaction, I think, would have been a complete surprise, and to many, it would be almost as shocking as the younger son's behaviour. I've read that when, you remember it says in verse 22, um, he put uh, a ring on his son's finger, amongst other things. That was signifying, specifically, that he was reinstating the son's inheritance. That's what people would have understood, despite everything the son had done. Um, Sally, have we got the next? This is... um, This is going to stay up. Don't try and read it. I'll read it in a moment. This is actually a painting of the lost son, prodigal son, by Charlie Mackesy, who I think many of us all know as the guy who drew and published the book The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Um, Well-loved book. But he painted this story before, and this is his take on the prodigal son story. I'm going to read it to you. He says, This is the story of the prodigal son, It should really be called the running father, who waited every day for his boy to return. The boy who had rejected him so badly, and finally, 
When he saw his son from a long way off, his father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. Sally, I think you're going to leave that up for us. That's okay. Thanks. So remember that. It's verse 20. His father ran towards him as he returned home. So what the son was experiencing was grace, the unmerited favor of God. Jesus is telling us that our Father in heaven is continually looking out for us to return to him. He's filled with compassion for our situation, however self-inflicted it is. And he makes a way for us to be reconciled through his unconditional love for us. Now, through the ages, countless lives have borne witness to those deep ancient truths, including many of us here today. In fact, we spent quite a lot of the morning singing about these truths um, for those of us who already experienced it. In our own King's Men breakfast group this month, as it happens, we were looking at John Newton, who many of you will know, a former slave trader from 200 or more years ago, who, like the Apostle Paul himself, was able to testify that he had been the worst of men, violent, persecuting others even to death, until the love of God flooded into his life and transformed him. Now, what's important to remember at this point is that we are all the younger son. That's what we have to remember. He is, if you like, he is humanity. Before any of us experienced God's grace, we were all in rebellion against him. In a sense, we all wanted God dead, or at least out of the way, so that we could enjoy the supposed good things of life without being accountable to him. Dale, you commented on this in your earlier. But we found that path of being unaccountable to God actually led not to freedom, but to slavery, to sin. We needed our Heavenly Father's forgiveness to be redeemed out of that empty and destructive way of life and brought back into his family. Which I think brings us to the last character, the older son. I think Jesus put him in the story precisely to challenge anyone who may be tempted to judge the younger brother, or in fact, even the father. As we've seen In a sense, spiritually, we're all actually the younger son, even though we may not have gone off the rails as obviously as he did. Um, But if we forget our father's forgiveness in our own lives, we can easily fall into resentfulness and judgment of others, just like the older son. And this reminded me of another piece of deep wisdom that I think Jesus taught about his father, which we know is the Lord's Prayer. You find it in Luke chapter 11, a bit before this, and other Gospels. And it includes the line, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, which is such a vital principle in our spiritual walk. Because I think once we've realized how much we've been forgiven, if you like, vertically by God into our lives, we need to extend that forgiveness horizontally to our brothers and sisters. But how can we not do so when we truly appreciate the grace poured out on us? Which incidentally is not to say that forgiveness is easy, but that's probably for another day. There are two other things, two final things I wanted to talk about. Um, Remember we heard earlier from Mark's Gospel, in fact, Rachel, you mentioned this as well, that Jesus explained the parables to his disciples more deeply when they had private time together, no doubt after the crowds had gone off for the day. So the the parables were a gateway to get into a deeper discussion for those who were searching more intently into what Jesus really meant. 
And I could imagine the disciples that evening saying, maybe saying something to him like, Rabbi, that was an amazing insight today, but was there really no punishment for the younger son? How could his father forgive him for the wrongs he'd done? Maybe you'd have asked that question if you'd been there. Now, Jesus would have known that there was indeed a missing part of the story in that he himself had come to earth to pay the penalty for the younger son and everyone else through time, right up to including us in this room now. But maybe Jesus didn't need to explain that to the disciples at that point. They would find it out for themselves in the months and years ahead, as many of us have done so too. And as I said, we were singing songs reflecting how much Jesus has done for us this morning. What Jesus wanted the people hearing that parable to understand, and comes through 2,000 years of history to us as well, what he wants us to understand in this parable is the unmerited grace and mercy of our Father in heaven towards us, no matter how much we have shamed ourselves and rejected him. Which, in a sense, brings me to um, next point, actually our last point, which is, have we thought to ask, why does the Father actually rejoice so much over the Son's return? Is it fair to ask that question? Quite interesting one to ask. As if to emphasize it, if you look in the earlier part of Luke 15, the first 10 verses, apologies if I'm treading on anyone's toesies, preaching on this later in the summer, but they are the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And there's a common thread through these three, which you'll have picked up, which is that there's rejoicing over the return of one missing item. In the case of perhaps a coin or even a sheep, maybe something seemingly insignificant. So what can Jesus be teaching us from the rejoicing over the finding of one item? Now, in my mind, this takes us back again to the Lord's Prayer. Remember, that includes the line, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think Jesus is showing us that his father's focus is on building his kingdom, one brick, one soul, one person at a time. In fact, it turns out he's not just dad getting the barbecue out for his absent kid's return. He's actually the king of heaven, unstoppably bringing home all his sons and daughters so that no single one is missing. What the older son missed was that this was actually not about him at all, amazingly. This was about much more than the supposed unfairness to the older son in not getting recognition for all the rosters he'd done over the years. It's not really about him at all. It's about his father's plan to build his heavenly kingdom. From his father's perspective, there was every reason to celebrate. And we should do so too, more and more, as we see God pouring out his grace and mercy on others. Some of us in this room, in our time, amazing, thank you, Lord. And all around the world, it's happening every day as it has already happened to many of us. Actually, the more you think about this, um, I think there's even more dimensions to this parable. So Jesus knew his father's heart, telling us his father's heart is to seek and reconcile humans to himself. And for that to happen, there has to be accounting and accounting for the things we've done wrong for our sin. Through his own love for his father, this is about relationship between father, son, 
and Holy Spirit through his own love for his father. Jesus was fully committed to making his father's kingdom on earth and in eternity. And he knew that for that to happen, Jesus had to fully commit to playing his own part, which was only achievable at the price of his own sacrificial death in our place on the cross. Well, maybe that was part of Jesus' inner motivation. I'm speculating now, but it does say in the Gospels that Jesus bravely, courageously went towards Jerusalem in his final weeks on earth because he knew what was to come. But he also knew what it would achieve. He was doing his part because he loved his father, building and completing the father's kingdom. In fact, he was the key to making it possible. This is how the prophet Zephaniah put it. Nikki, thank you for looking this up. You brought this in worship a few weeks ago. And I have to say, it immediately made me think of this parable. I was beginning to think about it. Um, it says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So the king, king of heaven is rejoicing over us with singing one by one as we return to him. That's why I said at the beginning that I think this parable unlocks so many mysteries. You could even say that it explains the whole existence of the universe. God has built an environment in which humans can live, a tiny little part of the whole universe where we can live, and in living we can choose to turn to him, and we know from this, from this deep wisdom that Jesus has shown us, God is actually looking out for us and running towards us when we turn to him. And God's grace is the key to understanding the unfolding of this amazing great plan from creation right through to redemption. It's the Father, Son, and Spirit, as he said, working together in the perfect mix of justice and mercy. Now I'm going to stop there. I've written here for time reasons. Actually, we've got quite a lot of time, which is nice. Um, but I think we've got... There's lots more that God can do with us, I think. Can I put it that way? Um, I'm very happy to talk to you on and afterwards if I've said anything that's confused you or doesn't make sense or you think I'm playing wrong. Um, come and tell me. But I hope just to have kind of given a little bit of a different perspective while going over some amazing but in some ways familiar ground. Um, I think we thought it'd be good to leave some time now to respond to the grace of God. We've already had thankfulness. I talked earlier about a day of thankfulness and celebration. For many of us, that's true. Or perhaps for some of us here, we're going to receive that for the first time. I pray not words I've said, but the Holy Spirit has maybe helped you to understand the whole message of grace and the gospel, maybe for the first time today. All of us had that experience once. So, um, Quincy and Hannah, are they around? Is that all right? Um, there were many possible songs which we could have at this point. I mentioned John Newton earlier. Many of you will know he is the author of Amazing Grace, which would have been a very appropriate song this morning. It's actually, I think, 250 years old this year. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for his life and that song and all the other things. We could have sung Goodness of God, really lovely song that we're singing a lot at the moment. We could have had, what was the one you did this morning? Uh, Unconditional, beautiful song. You could, 
as you've got time, you can sing that again later if you like. But what I asked Quincy and Hannah to sing was actually No Longer Slaves, um, because it reminds us that God has redeemed us back into his family. If you listen to the official Bethel YouTube version of this song, there's actually an additional first stroke bridge in there, which I haven't seen written down. I think maybe it was improvised during the recording. Um, have we got, can we just put the painting up, Sally? I know you've got to then flip to the words. Um, so this is what they sing on the recorded version. You're not going to attempt this, are you? No, you shouldn't right. do. No, you shouldn't, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to point out to Quincy this existed because I want to read it out, but this wasn't a prompt. So um, this is what they recorded when they sang No Longer Slaves. They sang this additional verse. I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. I am surrounded by songs of deliverance. We've been liberated from our bondage where the sons and the daughters let us sing our freedom. Amen. So can we have the song and then maybe some time people want to respond? Okay. <laughs> 